0: And I think it's those parts of the Bible that I find the most interesting. The moments where Jesus is, you know, his, um, moment, his 40 days uh, of temptation and stuff. I think that's where the power is.
1: Faith at the Fringe. A Sanctuary First podcast series. Uncovering God in the Creative Arts. At the biggest international arts festival
0: in the world, Sanctuary First stops to ask where does faith and art meet?
1: Welcome to Faith at the Fringe, a sanctuary first podcast series that seeks to engage with actors, creatives, and musicians who have come to the Edinburgh International Fringe Festival. And we're delighted that you've been able to join us for this podcast, and we hope that you will be able to get back to us with your comments and your observations as the podcast proceeds. I'm Albert Bogle, and I'm joined by my colleague, Hannah Sanderson. And together today, we've got with us our special guest, who is Beck Hill. And uh, we're looking forward to having a chat and talking with Beck. Now listen, uh, Beck is an actor, a comedian, and famous for her flip charts and her puns and her uh, play on crazy misheard lyrics.
0: Oh yes, yeah, I do love a misheard lyric.
1: Yeah, and so you've been blessed with so many talents that we're (coughs) going to have a really interesting time getting together, chatting with you, and talking with you, Beck.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it.
1: So, listen, the first question I'm going to ask you is, you've come to the Fringe, but in actual fact, in the past you've had your own show.
0: Why haven't you got your show this year? Uh, I didn't have anything to write about yet. (laughs) I always... I like to... I think Fringe is something that you should only do if you have something that you want to do that needs to come out, that you need to say. It's so relentless and difficult. ...otherwise, and if you're not really sort of feeling it... ...or passionate about what you're talking about... ...then it can really wear you down. And in the past, I would be doing a show at Fringe... ...and I would have an idea for the next show. And so then I would come back, you know, the following year... ...or maybe the year after that, after working it up. And uh, there was a show in 2019 I did called I'll Be Back. And I'd had the idea for that for years. So I'd been also working that up slowly in the background... ...while I did other shows... And then I did the 2019 show and realized I didn't have an idea for the next show because I'd been building up to that one for so long. And so, um, just so sort of <clears throat> excuse me, I just took a little bit of a break. And uh, yeah, I'm just enjoying watching stuff now. Yeah, it's,
1: being it's a punter. Really
0: nice. I'm being a punter. And do you know what? My goodness, I I couldn't understand why people would come to shows who weren't doing the Edinburgh Fringe, and now I understand. It's lovely. (laughs) You don't have the same anxiety every day. (laughs) There's no stress. I'm sleeping better. I'm eating better.
2: Yeah, I I highly recommend it. (laughs) Just as exhausting, though. So how many shows have you seen so far? And you've been here for like, what, 24
0: hours? (laughs) I've been here since Thursday. Uh, Today's... uh, Tuesday oh my goodness let's see that that's how many yeah so I think I've seen about 25 shows oh my goodness yeah
1: so have you got any inspiration come out of it for shows for the future for some writing projects
0: I have actually yeah that's the first time in a while that I've started to go oh yeah okay all right I want to talk about this and I think I might sort of focus on this a bit there's been some shows that I've seen that have had really interesting structure and that's been really inspirational because I like a bit of structure in a show. And then there's other shows that have been a bit more chaotic, and uh, I like I like physical um, comedy. I find that there's something really nice about that that sort of transcends any language. I mean, I I always say to my mum because my mum's very silly, and she gets along with people from of all ages, of all backgrounds, ethnicities, everything, and. I always say to her, it's because they speak silly and you speak silly, and
2: silly is a universal language that everyone understands. So what I'm seeing is then we need a Mrs. Bean. So obviously Mr. Bean being the king of physical comedy and popular all over the world. I mean, maybe Mr. Bean could have a niece.
0: Yeah, yeah, a Ms. Bean. A Ms. Bean.
2: Bean. 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 (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Of course, the other other comedian, because I'm a Glaswegian, Billy Conley. It's absolutely mm. brilliant at in acting out. If you watch him performing, oh, yes. absolutely. It? He, the, just the the capers he gets up to, you know, uh, you know the big baggy trousers or the banana, you know, the the banana wellies or whatever it is, you know.
0: Yeah, isn't it? it's a real, uh, it's a really nice way of standing out. And again, it's that anything that he talks about that could get a little bit serious or a little bit, uh, I guess, sometimes with adult themes and that mm. sort of thing as well, to undercut it with that ridiculousness the surrealness or the silliness it, it's a really nice balance and I think that's what makes it more accessible and more mainstream weirdly
1: so is it all have you been watching all comedy shows that you've been at, have the all been comedy and, and
0: uh, I saw no I saw a show yesterday called Shadow Kingdom it's on at 1115 at uh, assembly Roxy and that's a, a shadow puppet show and uh, so that was much more of sort of storytelling there is some comedy in it mm-hmm. but it is mostly. Uh, a, a story, uh, a storytelling show, a narrative show. And um, and that felt like felt like having a little bit of like a, medi- a meditative moment. Mm. It was just a nice reprise from seeing all this like mm. bam, 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 where you sort of you get a little bit out of your head with uh, trying to keep up with everything. And this was nice just to sit there and it's in the dark because it's shadow puppetry so it's really dark and you're sort of watching this beautiful, beautiful uh, paper stuff. I, I I do a lot of stuff with paper, but this was, you know, just another level. And um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. I would say it's a nice for anyone who this might uh, sound familiar to. I would say it's like uh, the Studio Ghibli films, but as as a shadow puppet <laughs> with a little bit of uh, Neverending story, story labyrinth, that sort of lovely eighties
2: nostalgic, nice um, fantasy. Yeah, it's lovely. So obviously we we read your bio on your website before you came here today. So we we feel like we know you inside out. (laughs) Um, But I was really interested by, um, you know, you mentioned puppets there. You mentioned papercraft. I uh, mentioned storytelling. Um, and um, I know that you do the DC fan cast. Oh, yeah. I mean, that th- that's how
0: much this needs updating because that was uh, some years ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then we've got, um, you know, your, your podcaster, which is actually a mass podcast as well. So yeah. I'm wondering why you chose, of all the clearly- Bucket of talents that you have why comedy? What 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 drew you as a person to comedy and when did you know that that was drawing you in?
0: Oh, um, my family's always bonded over comedy um, As I said silly is a universal language and we used to watch I think I mean if we're gonna get very therapeutic. I think some of my happiest memories are Moments where my family was sitting down watching TV things like red dwarf. Yeah. That was a huge influence I was about seven when I started watching that didn't understand a lot of the jokes as an adult now, realise I'm probably a bit inappropriate, but I loved it. And uh, The Goodies was really big in Australia as well. Weirdly bigger in Australia than it was here. But um, – and obviously Mr Bean and things like that. And I remember sitting with my family and watching that and just laughing so much and watching stand-ups on television. Uh, in Australia, they have the Melbourne Comedy Festival and each year they would um, televise the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala, which was a bit like – uh, ...live at the Apollo, but once a year. And so we'd all tune in to watch this. And I remember going to school the next day... ...and, and trying to remember all the jokes that I'd heard... And, ...and, you know, chatting to my friends about it. And so it'd always been something that made me feel happy. And, and it was really nice to see it make other people happy. It was, it was a real bonding moment. And so I think I was just naturally drawn to it that way. And so it was a bit of that. And then also I, I loved acting. I loved doing drama... But I never got chosen to be the main role, and I remember saying to my drama teacher, "Why, why don't you ever choose me? Because clearly I wanted it so bad, and I would rehearse so much for the auditions, and I try my hardest. And he always cast me as
2: the comic relief. Yeah, the comic comedy character. Yeah. Yes. And I was
0: like, "Why don't you ever make me the lead? The lead female? Like, why why don't I ever get to to be sort of the Juliet or anything? And and he said, um, "And I don't know how much of this was him just trying to soften the blow or or just general but he he said because playing the comedic character is a lot harder and uh there are fewer people like I can choose that would be able to pull that off and obviously that was the right thing to say to me because I went okay yes I will take that as a compliment and then I started to realize that that's what I like more than acting I like making people laugh and being on stage but I don't necessarily like playing other people and so I just sort of found myself drifting towards stand-up. It wasn't a job when I was growing up. It wasn't an occupation. So I I never planned on it being my full-time career. Uh, But I I knew I had to do it. As soon as I finished high school, I had to go and give it a shot. And then kind of just kept going from there.
1: But you're also an author. And uh, you've produced a series of children's books uh, entitled Horror Heights. Yes. And Is that complete now? Is, Is the whole series complete now?
0: Um... Uh, Yes and no. So there's three books out now. They work work alongside of each other. You can read them out of order. I have ten other stories that I'd like to... ...originally it was meant to be one book of 13 short stories. And then the publishers said, we love this. Could you turn each story into a book? And it was the beginning of lockdown and my tour had been cancelled. And so I didn't have any other work on the horizon. And I said, yes, of course I can turn them into full books and that turned out to be a huge challenge trying to stretch that out because i'd never written anything that long before you know even an hour long solo show doesn't isn't as long as a, a you know a chapter book and so the first they uh, they commissioned three three books which i've done so that's that but if if there ends up being demand for more, there are ten other stories in the in the back pocket. So and if I don't end up getting commissioned them, I might have to get around to at least writing them as short stories so that any kids out there can have a bit of bit of a completion. So
1: if our listeners haven't come across Horror Heights, you should realise that perhaps the title Horror doesn't completely illustrate the books because there's tales about science, science experiments that have gone wild and everyday troubles are just young people. So it's a bit of fun in the midst of it all as well isn't it?
0: Oh yeah I think horror and comedy go together perfectly hand in hand because they're yeah. both about building tension and breaking it. It's, um, if I would say that uh, comedy is almost what happens if you take horror further than than you would. So, with horror, you'll build tension, build tension, build tension, but there's unknown. And it's that unknown that creates an unease with an audience. But with comedy, you build tension, you build tension, you build tension. And then you deliver a punchline. And it's that release of, of that bringing the unknown into the known that will make people laugh. And so it's just, they're sort of so Check similar. Check you to each out with other. your
2: academic l- look on <laughs> horror <laughs> and comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm
1: also thinking about this. Here's an idea for you. Yeah. I think there's opportunities for you to take. Some of the Bible stories and make them into horror. And I mean,
0: some we, of them already yeah, are. They're there. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're I mean, there are a, a lot, lot of them. Are. Do, but you could do something with that as well. There's something there, perhaps. The absolutely. Of Jesus. The tension. breaking, the, I don't know. Just throwing that out as another. Yeah, there are some I mean,
2: crazy ones. I mean, the whole you know taking your son up a hill to sacrifice him thing. I mean, surely that's a that's sketch gold right there for, <laughs> the <laughs> for breaking Old the test- tension.
0: Absolutely. The, the Old Testament is yeah. uh, is rife with some with some stuff. Uh, I would say C.S. Lewis has um, done the Jesus analogy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never going to yeah. try and top that. Yeah. It's yeah. just Absolutely. perfect. Um, I do. I do think there's a lot of comedy in the Bible, though. I think my favourite passage. I think it's Two Kings. I think it's Two Chapter Twenty Two. I think it was twenty two All 22. The It's um. It's when uh, Elijah is walking out of Bethel, I think it is, and some youths come out and they start chanting, go on up, your bald head, oh, yeah. so go on up, your right? bald head, or baldy in some <laughs> yeah. versions of it. Uh, and then Elijah calls a curse on them and two bears, or in some versions, two she bears, which for some reason is funnier, <laughs> just that uh, she bears uh, come out of the forest and maul 42 of the youths. And I just that makes I just think
2: that's hilarious. I mean and someone it's a
0: got bald and was like, Yeah, well p- p- take this bear
2: attack. <laughs> I i, I Brilliant, great. New, a new approach to youth crime. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, I'm just going to set some she bears on you, you know? Yeah, that's what we should We should do that. It's more money in counselling, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm interested that there, are, I think there are some themes through, or, you know, on the, your bio. Just just read the bio. Um, <laughs> You know, so storytelling is like obviously a really big theme in, in, in all that you do. And I'm wondering whether, you know, you said that a long time ago, you did that superhero stuff. And I'm wondering whether there's that, theme of a story about good versus evil, you know, that story of that battle, that story of darkness and light. Do you think that there's something, um, obviously you've mentioned there that that, that that you read the Bible, so I'm presuming that you have a Christian faith. I don't want to jump yes, in there and, yes. and, and, and presume that. But do you think there's something in us um, as humans that wants to hear stories of good versus evil, of dark versus light? Do you think that's an inherent thing in humanity?
0: I think it is. I think almost more than good versus evil, because I think sometimes when we put things up as good versus evil, um, because a lot of us don't feel like we face pure evil in day-to-day life, and so it almost makes those stories um, almost fantasy. Like, we think, oh, that's nice to think about, that's what it would be like, but it's harder to relate to our everyday life. And I actually just think that it's more stories of... um, of a smaller battle of of moral uh, morals and ethics versus the the smaller versions of i you know i guess you could say evil but i guess just more that internal battle that we all have about what's the right choice to make for others for ourselves what can we do in our lives i find those stories much more fascinating and i think it's those parts of the bible that i find the most interesting the moments where jesus is you know his um moment his 40 days uh, of temptation and stuff. I think that's where the power is—that that, you know, to show mm-hmm. that this person who uh, essentially is a socialist <laughs> and and a really interesting leader also battled with those things and had to had had to deal with them and overcome them—is so much more interesting than the idea of this, poor, you know, uh, Superman versus. Uh, I don't know a giant mechanical spider, but <laughs> yeah,
2: obviously, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean th- that is in the Bible, I think. I mean that I, one's I in the Bible, the, yeah, the yeah, giant <laughs> mechanical spider, yeah.
0: <laughs> but then again, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between mm. Superman and Jesus. You know, yeah. they're both from from above. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, absent the, parents,
2: kinda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brought
0: up by other parents. Yeah, uh, the laser eyes. La- uh, yeah, that was my favourite part actually. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. totally, totally. <laughs> But I wonder, do you think that Christians have a reputation out there in the world as being funny? Like, if you stopped somebody on the street and you <laughs> said, give me five adjectives about Christians, do you think funny would be in that list?
0: Oh, Absolutely not, no. I think maybe people think they're funny in that we're laughing at Christians and not with them. Um, and I think that's a shame because some of, I think, whenever I've come across humour, especially within church, it's always made me feel a bit more, there was a church I went to in Melbourne. <laughs> And I remember thinking, this is my church. Because it always takes me a while to find, if I'm in a place, to find the, the congregation that I feel at one with. And I remember walking in and the, they were using the old school projectors, you know. The, with the, so, they'd had to, like, print stuff out on the little laminate. Yeah. And, uh, and the minister said, today we're going to be talking about the Trinity. And then he put down a laminate with Trinity from The Matrix on it, and he said, (laughs) "Not that Trinity." (laughs) And then changed it for another thing. And I thought, that's so much effort (laughs) for one gag, and that is exactly my style of humor. Like I love that, and I just, and I've said it. We'll talk about this before we start recording, but I, I'm a dork, (laughs) and I think that's real dorky humor, and I love that. And I think there's a lot that uh, people miss because they think, oh, Christianity and humor doesn't go together. And you tend to to miss out on a lot of really lovely stuff.
1: Of course, sometimes yeah. churches and church services are really funny, and they don't mean mean yeah. to be funny. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> which is also great. <laughs> 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 yeah, so that gets a kind of difficult one. But thinking about uh, comedy and being funny, and thinking about uh, how people are drawn today to vast audiences of people to hear stand-up comics. You know, theatres have been filled with people that at one time they would have gone to hear uh, a prestigious preacher to preach a sermon, but now they go to hear comedy. But I'm wondering if there's something, I, I because I think there's, is there something more serious going on as people are listening to comedy? Is there some kind of therapeutic thing going on in the audience and maybe also being worked out in the life of the comedian? as the comedian begins to talk about their story, but in actual fact, they're, they're talking about their exploring life. And again, uh, as someone who has watched a lot of Billy Conley and mm-hmm. been a Glaswegian, I actually think Conley, as he comes to the end of his life, that's exactly some of the things he's been doing. Mm. Do you
0: think there's something in all that? Absolutely. I think that with uh, with comedy, first of all, yeah, as you said, it's a lot about sharing your own life experiences, and I think a lot of people, when they think of church, they think of sermons. They think it's preaching. It's it's these are stories from the Bible. We're going to use this as a springboard to tell you what you're doing wrong or what you should be doing, or all this. That's the typical idea of what a sermon is. And with comedy, people aren't going because they they you know people know that it's going to be someone talking about themselves. So the pressure's off. The stakes are much lower. You know, you go and you think, I'm going to go have a laugh. And if you learn something, it's not being forced upon you because you're invited to then come and go, oh, actually, I see the – I can draw um, uh, comparisons there. I can take what I want from this, but there's no pressure to. Whereas with sermons, I feel like a lot of people feel that if they go, they have to. And – it's very confronting and people don't want to confront things head on. The nice thing about comedy is it sort of sneaks in there and it's a ah. lot more palatable in that way. Uh, and then just uh, finding the funniness in things as well is therapeutic. Try, you know, a lot of us really struggle to feel heavily about things emotionally. Um, there's a lot of things that we will disassociate as soon as we feel sad or angry or... Uh, grief or anything like that and so we just disassociate, but we we still want to feel happiness and laughter and sometimes dealing with those emotions through laughter can then allow us later to Feel the emotions that we should be feeling and process it
2: It's that release isn't it that you talked about before sometimes exactly. I think that the artist brings attention Sometimes the audience brings attention, you know, at the end of a day or whatever, and they're looking for a release. They're looking for that that crescendo that they can release, whatever they've, they've brought with them through laughter. Mm. One of the things I'm interested about um, as a Christian in the comedic world is, um, I was listening to a podcast with Dawn French, and she was talking about how... Um, the the place of the comic is to always push the boundaries in what society says. So always pushing the boundary in terms of um, what can't be said, pushing the censor over and over again. Um, and so we have a lot of comedy which is in areas now where we wouldn't have talked about that 40 years ago, You know, wh- whether it be sexuality, whether it be mental health, whether it be suicide, whether it be all of these kinds of things. Um, as a Christian coming into a comedic world, do you find any of that difficult for you or any tensions between you and and the perceived comedic world? Or do you find any of that difficult? Or is it, no, it's fine, room for everyone. I think when I started,
0: um, because when you start, you look for the thing that sets you apart from everyone else and you sort of build your personality, your voice on that. So when I started, I used to talk about being Christian and some of the more, uh, generic elements of that. and just because I thought it was good for people to know that I'm Christian then build from there. And then, as I sort of started to do it more and more, I found that I could move further away from that and just become more about uh, me as a whole person and my the way that I take on things. But I interesting, what I found was that uh, comedians were far more open to a lot of people thought, because there's so many, Atheist comedians who are very, very uh, vocal about, you know, the the issues that they have with usually the church more than the faith. Um, people think that it's going to be really, really aggressive, and I was surprised by how many people were just open to to hearing about it, that had questions or or would say, "Oh, I forgot," <laughs> because they, you know, they you think that uh, when you hear the term Christian. ...you think of it like with a big capital C. It's a bit, you know, it's like a, this is a label and stuff. But I find that the older I get and the more I sort of explore my faith... ...I find that Christianity is much more of a relationship rather than a label. Um, in the same way that, yes, I'll loosely call myself a comedian... ...but I, I've done a lot more writing and television recently than I have stand-up. And so... It's sort of that label always changes. And I feel like with calling myself a Christian, it's it's very much aligning myself with the basic principles of it. But everything around it needs to be explored constantly, and as you would with any relationship, your relationship with your friends, your family, anything. It's always going to change depending on the times of what you learn about each other and how we change as people. And, yeah, I think it's, it's become a lot more subtle um, and it's... It's interesting that the the more I get to meet other people, I find that their relationship with uh, faith. I actually did a podcast a long time ago. I don't think it's available anymore, called Gods of Comedy, where we would um, my friend Bridie Lee Kennedy and I, uh, who's Catholic, she and I would interview comedians about their beliefs or non-beliefs, and it was fascinating how many who we thought we were going to have some really. Fiery yeah. conversations, and they just became really fascinating. Like, oh, you, oh, okay, so, and this comes from this. Oh, right, that's quite similar to this. And you end up sharing these ideas, and it becomes much more of a community than than a, a, a nemesis yeah. type situation. <laughs> yeah.
2: But earlier you said that actually. When the drama teacher said to you, it's harder to be a, you know, comic a character than it is to be, a, and you said, I always wanted to just be myself on stage. I think there's a vulnerability in expression that comedians have that is, they're much more transparent, aren't they? You bring all of your life, you take the humour from all of your life, and you share it with others. Do you find that vulnerability worrying, or are you A-OK with that level of transparency?
0: I think I'm still dealing, I think, I like to think I'm being transparent, but I think there's a lot of stuff I still don't show i think i'm very picky with what i'm transparent about and i think that's because there's some elements of my life that i just don't know how to make funny and it's not that they're so dark and bleh, it's just that in a way that some people can explore those things beautifully and eloquently. Uh, my brain doesn't work that way. So it might, it might struggle to say, oh, how can I say this about the human condition and make it palatable? But then on the other side, i might, oh, this sounds like bum. I'm going to make a funny <laughs> bum picture that goes to this. You know, and I, I think there's um, – I don't feel like I have to uh, be vulnerable. I think any time I've tried to do it on purpose in order to get a point across or make points, uh, it's come across as contrived. And it, and it has been. And one thing I'm learning as a comic, again, over time, is to just sort of not force it so much and just trust that if there is anything that needs to be said, whether it's about my faith, whether it's about... Uh, bums. Bums, exactly, just to, to let it sort of flow. Um, and in fact, sorry, just I, I wanted to mention this earlier because uh, I don't know if you, Have you heard of The Artist's Way? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's a book by Julia Cameron... Uh, she wrote it in the early 90s. If anyone reads it, I would bear in mind it was written in the early 90s. There's a couple of things where you're like, okay, it's not problematic, but it's that sort of thing where you go, okay. I mean, first of all, the, no internet, um, so no references to that. But essentially it's a 12-week uh, creativity and spirituality course. And basically she says that creativity and spirituality are the one and the same. Mm. And that uh, she refers to... Uh, she refers to God in it but she says anyone who's reading should apply whatever they want to that whether they're atheist or not she's using the shorthand God but that can mean anything but as a basic thing she's like it's if you imagine creativity you know God is the creator and created us in order to create and God is at at the happiest when we create and that's when we're at our most godliness is when we're being creative Mm. and uh It's very much about tapping into that and um, using the gifts that we have in order to work on that and also the gifts of other people and collaboration and things. And so I think sometimes my biggest expression of of my faith isn't necessarily in what I say or do on stage. It's how I get there. Mm. And I think that's probably the biggest thing, yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting just hearing you speak and what comes into my mind is... Someone once said to me, it's not so much what you say, but it's how people feel after you've
0: left. That's a really good point. And I think,
1: you know, that's for someone in what you're doing, but all of us are doing, whether we're preaching a sermon or whether we're just having a conversation, how do we leave them feeling when we've finished? Um, And. I, mean, I was preaching a sermon this Sunday back at my my first my, own, my only charge I had nobody else would have me so I stayed there for a long time but I was preaching on Sunday about Shalom mm. and Shalom is a wonderful Hebrew word and but it takes you right into this whole area of creativity you know where it says in in the Bible in Genesis and God saw that it was good and that the, the pleasure that God takes in create creating creativity and it's almost like a piece that settles upon god that's finished you know that, that yeah You know that, essentially you've done so it's finished and shalom is about saying to someone oh that you would be completed the way that god wants you and has made you to be mm. you know so go and, and live into that mm. lean into what god has made you to be in and uh, look at the creative aim that God has for your life and and, and lean into it and begin to grow into it. And I think that's what I'm hearing as you're starting to talk here. You're helping us all today to see the journey of making yourself vulnerable, but in making yourself vulnerable, you also make yourself able to connect with other people. One other question I was going to ask you, because you don't mind, because you've, you've been public about it, that As an adult you were diagnosed as having labels, I'm never all that happy with these things, (laughs) but this label of ADHD. Uh, Why did you come out publicly and mention that?
0: Um, I think, uh, I guess because it's not something that I feel uh, ashamed of or anything. It's interesting a lot of comedians were diagnosed with it in lockdown and that's because a lot of comedians suddenly had a lot of time mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, I ended up getting the diagnosis because I was doing the clear out that everybody did at the beginning of lockdown. where everyone, Well, I guess I'll finally get around to cleaning the house or going through all my things. And I found an assessment form that my doctor had asked me to fill out two years earlier that I'd forgotten to do. <laughs> and it was because I, I was worried that I was... Uh, experiencing premature memory loss because I kept uh, forgetting things or losing things or losing track of what I'm saying. I'm sure I'll probably listen back to this podcast and go, you've gone way off topic and you haven't (laughs) answered the question. I'm fully aware that I have an issue with that. And I so I found this uh, this sheet because I'd gone to the doctor and said, you know, I'm, I'm a bit worried about this. And they asked me a few other questions and they said it could be ADHD. And I remember at the time thinking... Oh, and I remember having a, a teacher when I was a kid suggest to my mum that I had it, but back then it was very much seen as something that naughty kids had, and I wasn't a naughty kid, so you know that couldn't possibly be the case. And I thought, oh, maybe. And then, yeah, obviously, forgot to do the form, which should be an instant pass. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I love the
2: fact that you went to the doctor because you were forgetting things, and then you forgot to do the form. Forgot I mean, to do, I mean, that do the is thing. Just brilliant. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and so I finally filled it out, and. Um, and it's funny because it also asks anyone you live with to fill it out as well so they can give their perspective. And I'd actually said, I- I'm not too bad at losing things. I lose sometimes, but I'd not more than anyone else. And then my husband uh, was filling his out and it said, do they lose things? And he was like, yes, all the time. And it turns out I think I'm not losing things, but it's because he picks them up after me and makes sure I don't forget them. <laughs> so he was filling it out and then, uh, yeah, and then – Send it off, and then you have an assessment with a psychiatrist, and and they uh, diagnose that. And it gave me um, a really interesting perspective on something where there were there's still a lot of things I I want to get better at, and I I don't think that having this stops me from working on those, but I also found that it made a lot of other things clear, and in our, it made our relationship a lot easier because uh, I have. A, I I leave things out all the time and my husband's very tidy. Uh, my mum's very tidy, you know, and I, all these years I'd sort of kept thinking, why can't I clean up? Why is it so difficult for me? And then I realised, oh, it's because I need things to be out. Otherwise, if I can't see them, they've gone. Yeah. And I won't remember anything. So, it's it's like having, you know, I can't even have a to-do list in a closed book. It has to be open. I have to be able to see it. Otherwise, I won't remember it and I won't tick it off. And so we're only in a one-bedroom flat with no garden and I was working in the kitchen, at a desk in the kitchen, and it was feeling very claustrophobic. And getting the diagnosis and realising these elements about me, I was able to finally sort of say to my husband, I need, a, I, I need a room, I need a space to work in so that I can be me and then everything else can be the, the order that you want. And so we ended up moving our bed into the lounge which is now called the blounge Mm -hmm. so we've got a bed it's almost like a bed sit situation and so the old bedroom's now my office so I can move the desk from the kitchen into there and so it it now means that the all the other living areas and the bathroom and everything that's all kept neat and tidy I can keep those tidy that I have no issue with that but in the space that I work in that's very messy and it could be as messy as I like it to be as long as we can shut the door and he can't see it and it just made a huge difference to the relationship and And I just think those sorts of um, understandings, when you have them, for me, it making such a big difference in my life and giving me the language I needed to communicate different things that I was having difficulties with the people around me, I thought, actually, this might help other people as well. And I'm not there to diagnose anyone else, but to just say, if you relate to these things perhaps look at it in this light and see if that helps. And you can use even if you're not diagnosed with it specifically, the, the tools still help. So, uh, yeah, that was why I decided to be a bit more public.
1: What a good piece of practical advice to give to people, uh, even if you, you say they've not been diagnosed with anything, just making space for one another to mm-hmm. be able to live our lives and understanding one another. It's been a great podcast. Yeah. I've really enjoyed being <laughs> with you and hearing, and we've covered a lot of ground.
2: Yeah, and talking about covering ground, I noticed on your website that you're going to be in Manchester soon and then Bedford as well.
0: Yes, I'm I'm. I'm, I'm uh, hosting the QED conference, which is the sceptics conference, oh. which I think is very – I find it very funny that they've asked me to host it, <laughs> but I weirdly do count myself as quite sceptic um, in the sense that I think scepticism involves having to be quite open-minded because – it's when people say that something is this and it's nothing else, and I think that's when we need to be sceptical. And so I, I would say that it's a it's a healthy thing to have and to be, and yeah. and you can have a faith and be sceptic at the same time. And so. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of the talks.
2: <laughs> and also, you're, for those of you that are listening to this immediately, you've got one more little slot, haven't you, in comedy for kids? Yes, comedy club for kids at the Assembly Roxy. And that's on Thursday, the fifteenth. Uh, Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesday, the sixteenth. Okay. Yeah. So if they're, so, they're, if you've got some kids out there that want to hear come and hear some comedy, um, uh, then you can come along to that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's basically a comedy club where kids are allowed uh there'll be jokes for the parents that won't you know sky your children for life
1: (laughs) well we want to thank you so much for being part of our podcast today it's been a real pleasure speaking to you and hearing your story and your journey and if you've enjoyed this podcast we would love to get your comments because we do look at the comments and create maybe a and interaction. And I'm quite sure that Beck will look at it as well. And we can be able to maybe develop a conversation through this podcast because it's important that you feel part of what we've been discussing today. So we want to thank you for being part of our podcast and for sharing with us. And encourage you to listen into our podcast all through Faith at the Fringe because we've got more really interesting podcasts coming up. And uh, the next one is going to be about music and the big band sound so have a look and a listen and a look out for that one but until next time huge thank you to you beck for being with us and to to hannah andy and to you for being with us as part of our faith at the french